Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. So much has changed in our lives because of the pandemic. We've all had to learn how to be more patient about things we've taken for granted. Voting is one of them, and this year, that patience may be tested on election night and in the days after. President Donald Trump has demanded to know the results of the 2020 election on election night. You know, you could have a case where this election won't be decided the evening of November 3rd. Even though some states warn that it might take days, if not weeks, to count their votes. This morning, President Trump faces pushback from his own party for refusing to say that he will leave office peacefully. But if there is a winner declared on election night, it will almost certainly be bad news for Trump. The only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. Remember that. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch, and today, Zach Montalero on what could really happen during one of the most unusual election nights in U.S. history. So there's a very good chance, if not a likelihood, that we won't know who wins the presidency, won't know who controls Congress on November 3rd. And the reason for that is actually fairly simple. As you may be aware, we're in the middle of a pandemic that's kind of upended every aspect of American life, including voting. And more voters than ever this year are expected to vote via the mail, either submitting a ballot through the post office, dropping it in a drop box, things like that. And some very critical states have not updated their laws to allow them to process those ballots early, meaning these votes will still be counted. They'll still be counted fairly. It's not a sign of fraud. It just might take some extra time to count those ballots. And the three states in particular that really leave either very limited or no early time to process ballots, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. And if you're following this election, even a little bit, those states sound pretty familiar to you because they're probably the tipping point states. This is something that you've been talking about for a long time, sort of screaming from the top of a mountain. (laughs) There's a good chance we're not going to know the results of the election on election night. I think you were probably the first person who told me that there was a good chance about that. Now we hear about it all the time. But I got to ask, is there any chance that we do know if there's a winner on election night? Yeah, there's a small, small chance we know who wins on election night. Everyone should prepare themselves for the fact that we won't know. You should go to bed expecting not to know the winner of the presidency. But there's a chance we do, yeah. All right, so let's talk about how that could happen for both candidates. Let's start with Joe Biden. What would be the path to victory for Joe Biden on election night itself? So yeah, if Joe Biden is going to win on election night, which again, I still think is fairly unlikely, but he has a narrow path to do so, it first relies on him winning what he's supposed to win, basically. He has a pretty high floor of electoral votes that I assume, I expect, will be probably called on election night, 226 electoral votes from California, New York, Illinois, all these states that are pretty solidly blue, and the nominal swing states of Minnesota and New Hampshire. So that floor, 226 votes, sets him up with a couple of pretty narrow paths to win on November 3rd. That path basically starts in most situations with Florida. If Biden wins Florida on election night, he has a okay shot of 
winning the whole thing on November 3rd or maybe early on the morning of November 4th. Florida, unlike those three Great Lake states, processes ballots incredibly early. Election administrators in Florida will have a lot, a lot of time to do the pre-processing, to basically run everything you need to do before you count the ballots ahead of election day. If Biden wins Florida, that's the first big mark, he then has to pick up 15 other electoral votes. And he has basically three ways of doing that. Either he wins North Carolina outright, he wins Ohio outright, or he wins a combination of Arizona and Iowa. Any three of those situations combined with Florida gets him to 270 votes on election night before those Great Lakes states are even called. He could also do it if he loses Florida, he could win Ohio, North Carolina, Arizona, basically the straight sweep there. Uh, but I think that's probably less likely. But those states have a decent shot of maybe, maybe having a definitive winner on November 3rd, just because they have so much time to process their mail ballots. What about President Trump? Can he win on November 3rd? And if he can, how would he do that? Yeah, I don't think President Trump really has much of a shot on winning on November 3rd. And it's not a comment on his chances electorally. And to be clear, he's trailing Joe Biden that if timing doesn't matter, which in the vacuum timing shouldn't matter. He right now is trailing the Electoral College, but President Trump doesn't have really a straight shot to 270 votes on election night on November 3rd. So again, excluding those Great Lake states, what President Trump would have to do is win every other electoral vote he carried in 2016 and do so by a strong enough margin that not only does he win, but he wins that the results are determinative. In states like Ohio, another state that has long pre-processing, if it's a close race, might not be called an election night because in Ohio, ballots that are postmarked by the Monday before election day can come in up to 10 days after and still count. And even if he does all of that, he's at 260 electoral votes. So then what he has to do is flip a state that Hillary Clinton carried in 2016. That right now seems like a really, really tough climb for him. The best shot, I suppose, would be the flipping the 10 electoral votes for Minnesota. But even though the Trump campaign has said, yeah, Minnesota's competitive, we can win the state, that may have been true earlier in the cycle. At this point, with the public polling we have seen, doesn't look true now. So Trump doesn't have a path to victory, I don't think, on election night. That doesn't rule out him winning as all the ballots are counted in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. But on election night, on November 3rd, doesn't look great for him locking it up that evening. That being said, that might not stop the president from declaring victory. And that's why we're having this whole conversation is that if both candidates were patient and, and committed to waiting until all the ballots were counted, this wouldn't be a conversation we need to have. President Trump has indicated he's not interested in waiting. He said that there must be a victory declared on election night. He's already sought to um, delegitimize mail ballots across the country. So we could see a situation, theoretically, that the president leads early returns in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, other states, says, hey, I'm the victor. And that may be either indeterminative because the votes aren't counted or straight up not true, that as more mail ballots come in, Biden could take the lead in those states. But the president has indicated that he is going to try to rush a declaration of victory. And that's kind of why we're having this conversation that can anybody actually get to 270 votes on election night? I know it's impossible to predict something like this, but let's say it is election night. There's no clear winner and we have President Trump declaring victory or alternatively, it looks like Joe Biden is the winner, but Trump is disputing that on election night. What do you think is the aftermath of that situation? How does that play out? Oh, boy. I mean, again, this is really incumbent, especially on the TV networks, because, you know, Politico is great. The print outlets are great. But so many people tune into TV on election night. They need to communicate that, that if somebody declares victory before victory is declared by the outlet, 
I don't know if they ignore it or they somehow contextualize it, but that's incumbent on the folks communicating uh, what the president or Joe Biden says and putting it in the proper context. I don't really have any real concerns about Joe Biden declaring victory before the Associated Press or CNN or, you know, another TV outlet says that he's hit that mark. But if the president does, uh, it's incumbent on media outlets to communicate that, listen, this is still undecided, despite what the president says. And, you know, we've had some signs already that media outlets can handle this. I'm going to take you somewhere at 30 Rock without this ID. I can't get in where I have never been allowed to go before. This is NBC's decision desk, the beating heart of our election coverage. Every outlet, basically every TV outlet has its own decision desk. That's kind of walled off that has filled with incredibly smart people who aren't going to call these elections unless they're sure. You can go back to 2012 when Karl Rove insisted, insisted that the decision desk was wrong. Yes, I think this is premature. We got 70, we got a quarter of the vote. Now remember, here's the thing about Ohio. A third of the vote or more is cast early. That is won overwhelmingly by the Democrats. It's counted first. And Megyn Kelly on Fox News kind of marched into the decision desk and they defended their projections. Now here are the guys. This is the decision desk. Now we're in the heart of the decision desk room. Arnon? Yes. You head this place up. Chris Steyerwalt, you've been doing all the number crunching. These guys, be you tell me whether you stand by your call in Ohio, given the doubts Carl Rove just raised. We're actually quite comfortable with the call in Ohio. Basically, and it's incumbent on media outlets, especially TV, where most people will be tuning in to put their scientists first, put their reporters first, let them project the elections free of any influence and make sure they communicate that to their viewers and their readers. Zach Montalero, thanks so much for talking with me. Jeremy, thanks for having me. Also today, Judge Amy Coney Barrett is preparing to answer questions from the Senate Judiciary Committee after day one of confirmation hearings for a seat on the Supreme Court. On Monday, Democrats slammed Barrett's nomination, saying it's been rushed ahead of an election, and it's an effort to swing the court against the Affordable Care Act and abortion rights. Republicans, though, turned attention to Barrett's personal story and resume, which Barrett detailed in her own opening statement. Today and tomorrow, Barrett will field questions from senators on both sides of the aisle before outside witnesses testify on Thursday. The committee will vote on her nomination next week. And Facebook is reversing its policy on posts that deny or distort the Holocaust, saying it will now ban them. CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced the new policy on Monday in the social media giant's latest attempt to crack down on misinformation and conspiracies with just three weeks before Election Day. It comes after Zuckerberg has been under increasing scrutiny over saying in 2018 that posts denying the Holocaust wouldn't necessarily be removed, and that as long as posts were not calling for harm or violence, even offensive content should be protected. The company says the new policy is, quote, supported by the well-documented rise in anti-Semitism globally and the alarming level of ignorance about the Holocaust, especially among young people.
Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Pulse Check, Nerdcast, Women Rule, Politico Energy, and a new podcast out next week called Global Translations. Stay tuned after this to hear more. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. The way to bring this country to its knees is to choke off our supply. Imagine for a second our globe as a series of supply chains. Food, everyday goods, and raw materials zooming across the world in a single day. But what if those global supply chains suddenly ground to a halt? It's not just about finding which vaccines work. It's about preparing the manufacturing and supply chains for those. And if one little detail in those supply chains goes wrong, we might not be getting vaccines to people when they desperately need them. The global pandemic showed us what it's like when we can't get the things we need. Masks, personal protective equipment, even toilet paper. There's simply not enough raw materials. We have to figure out how to get this right. There is a bigger story behind the scarcity. We need to fight back against China. A bigger picture with implications for our future. That's going to be a major challenge. On this season of Global Translations, where has globalization fallen short? And where do we go from here? The 90s called, and their economics is not what we need now. I'm Louisa Savage. I've spent my career thinking about the global forces that shape our world. Join me and other journalists from Politico. A new season of Global Translations coming in October. <laughs>